0: Sometimes it's inevitable to give in. Sometimes that's the only way to begin. Sometimes hitting the ground with your face down is the only way. Sometimes that's how you finally feel okay.
1: Hello and welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in my home studio in Tokyo, Japan, and joining me From Fukuoka, Japan, is my co-host Stephen Lyman. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals. We've both published books, and we like our Japanese whiskey made right here in Japan. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for well over three decades now, and we're very excited to share them with
0: you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? Doing well, Christopher. I'm glad we're talking about Japanese whiskey again. It's something that's always fun to explore, research, and learn more about, and I think we got some good info today. Yeah, and we
1: it's been a while since we've really talked specifically about whiskey. I mean, obviously, this is 2022 now, but uh, so yeah, it hasn't been since last year, I suppose.
0: <laughs> Fair. I mean, we did do the whiskey service styles, but that was pretty general. Uh, here, we're going to start diving back into distilleries and brands and more specific information, so... Yeah, and before we talked, just before the last
1: episode, actually, we talked about the difference between koji and malt and how those are interchangeable. But this week, we're going to dive into the business of making whiskey in Japan. And this is inspired by the recent announcement that the legendary Karuizawa distillery is coming back, which caught me by surprise. I'm sure it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise because this distillery, Karuizawa, had a really big influence, impact in the astronomical prices for single-cast bottlings that we got so familiar with just a few years ago, and they're restarting production. So, Stephen, can
0: you fill us in on on Karuiza Distillery for the uninitiated? I can. It's actually a really interesting story. And as I was researching uh, for this episode, I learned things I didn't know before. It's one of the benefits of of doing this show. The Kadoizawa Distillery uh, was built in Nagano Prefecture in 1956 by a company called San Naku. A lot of people today probably aren't going to be familiar with San Naku, for reason will become apparent in a moment. But they were making uh, for the San Naku company the Kadoizawa Distillery was the malt whiskey distillery for a blended whiskey known as Ocean, and Ocean was one of these popular. Lower price brands, domestic brands here in Japan for, for several decades. Business started to flag in the 80s, which happened with a number of these distilleries as the bubble popped and, and things started to go south. The Sanyaku panicked a little bit. Now, they also had interest in wine making. Uh, they were a pretty big winemaker. And they did some market research and realized that not only that did nobody know the name Sanyaku, but Sannaku wasn't associated with high-quality winemaking. Suntory was considered a high-quality winemaker in this market research. Hmm. So they changed their name to Mercian. And the Mercian brand today is one of the most popular Japanese wine brands. So they're still around, but it's not what it sounds like. They actually were acquired by Keating. Uh, but while they were uh, Sannaku 1990, they changed their name to Mercian. In 2000, they decided to shutter the distillery. They closed the Karuizawa distillery. 2006, they become a subsidiary of Kirin. And then people were wondering, is Kirin going to restart the distillery? What's going to happen? And it was pretty clear by 2010 that that wasn't going to happen. And so in 2011, all of the old stock, all of the old casks from Karuizawa were sold to Number One Drinks. And Number One Drinks was the company responsible for the internationalization of the Karuizawa brand. And all of those casks, and they really went through and they were very careful. They chose the best of the best and they bottled those as single casks. For the others that were not so transcendent, they blended those into Karuizawa bottlings that were sold off. And then I think just a couple of casks were not really considered uh, sale worthy. And and those were either redistilled or blended into other products. But basically, that's what drove that whole single cask like explosion in pricing. And the last bottling that they did ended up being one of the most expensive Japanese whiskeys ever sold. And of course, I think since then that, that number has been eclipsed, but, but it was a really, really impressive run that uh, number one drinks had with those single cast bottlings. And how we know that Karuizawa in its previous form is not coming back is that the distillery itself was demolished in 2016. Mm-hmm. And the equipment was actually sold at auction to the Shizuoka distillery. Right. And so their prologue K, the K stands for, uh, Karuizawa. So it was the whiskey that they made using the old Karuizawa equipment was recently released, I think, uh, earlier last year or earlier, yeah, earlier last year, 2021. What's happening is a new interest has now decided to build a distillery in Karuizawa, which is again, as I mentioned in Nagano, and they are, starting afresh they're actually bringing back the uh the last master distiller from Kadoizawa as a consultant and then one of the other distillers who's still young enough to, to keep working will become the new master distiller this tells you how big japanese whiskey's potential is in the minds of the powers that be in japan the ownership group that is reopening this distillery or opening a new Kadoizawa distillery is mitsubishi oh jeez. oh wow <laughs> Right. One of the biggest companies in Japan.
1: Lord. yeah. Okay. Well, you know, this is following a pattern, isn't it? I mean, Japan has a pretty lengthy history of shuttering and then reopening whiskey distilleries, does it not?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are distilleries that have closed over the years that people don't even talk about anymore because it's so far in the rear view mirror i mean before the karuizawa distillery sanraku that company had a, pre- a distillery at a previous site that they had closed uh probably 1950s hmm. so but those are so far in the past that people aren't like scavenging for old bottlings or, or old casks or anything but one that comes to mind for sure is the hanyu distillery so the hanyu distillery was uh the predecessor to what is now the Chichibu Distillery. Right. So, Ichiro Atsuko, who's the uh, the owner of that business, his family ran the Hanyu Distillery. He actually salvaged or rescued the casks from Hanyu. And that's actually how he ended up funding his own distillery was by selling off those casks uh, with some of his early releases. And that's obviously Ichiro's malt is is what that's uh, most known for, that distillery, the Chichibu Distillery. But their family distillery had been closed previously, and then he reopened with a new distillery on a new site. Uh, and it sounds like uh, word has it he may be opening, reopening another distillery. But until that, I think that becomes public knowledge, we may uh, hold back on specifics. And then actually, Mars, the folks Hombo folks, right? Hombo Distillery. It's a big, big family uh, business down here in Kyushu, in Kagoshima. They had acquired a whiskey distillery in Yamanashi prefecture in 1960 when they acquired, uh, Mars wines. And so it was Mars wines and Mars whiskeys. And then they had been making whiskey in Yamanashi, uh, from 1960, but then they closed it in 1969. They moved the stills down to Kagoshima and they were just making a little bit of whiskey down in Kagoshima before they opened the Shinshu distillery in 1985. And if you think about the timing of when, uh, San Naku decided things weren't working so well. They were having trouble with the name and everything. That was a pretty bad time to open a new distillery in 1985. Mm-hmm. So the, the Shinshu Distillery in Nagano actually closed in 1992. So they only operated for seven years. Fortunately, they didn't tear it down. They just mothballed it, and that was reopened in 2011. And that's now what's giving us Komagatake and some of the other uh, really nice Mars whiskeys. So fortunately, that distillery uh, has survived. There are also a few smaller distilleries that go in and out of hibernation depending on the trends, and of course they've ramped up production over the last decade or so. Uh, one in particular is Asaka, which wound down production actually in the 1980s as the whiskey, uh, as whiskey's popularity, Japanese whiskey's popularity was declining, and they didn't restart again until 2015. Unfortunately, because now they don't have any thing really to sell. So what they've been doing is selling blends under the Yamazakura brand while they wait for their new make to mature. So they're blending a little bit of their old stock with a whole lot of imported scotch uh, under that Yamazakura brand. Right. Fortunately, they their old stuff apparently wasn't very good because they were making it in stainless pot stills, huh. uh, which we've heard from any number of people, there's a reason why copper is used when you're making whiskey sure. is that you get a lot of sulfur uh, if you don't have copper in the path of the of the steam. And then there's this kind of obscure little distillery called Saburo Maru. And they seem really eclectic. I mean, their equipment's really old. They actually use an old allospis, continuous distillation still, like that they imported from France decades ago. Hmm. But they just dribble out a little bit of whiskey here and there. It's like a few hundred bottles this year, a few thousand bottles that year. Only in 2013 did they release their first age statement. And, and they went big right out of the gate. They released a 20-year-old single malt. And then in 2016 they raised a 55-year-old. Ha. Huh. Wow. So uh, who knows what those guys are doing? <laughs> I think they're just having a little bit of fun. I, they're they're mainly sake makers, and so they're just the whiskey's kind of a side hustle for them, but uh kind of a fun place, I guess.
1: Huh. No kidding. Well, it's like this is like uh Michael Jackson's thriller video where all of these these uh businesses are just magically reviving. So who's in who's in business right now? Did you make a list while you
0: were looking through all of this yeah a little bit um I, I spent more time thinking about these old distilleries and some of these more obscure ones for this episode but of course you've got the the white oak distillery uh which is akashi mm-hmm. and they've been in and out of i guess they're another one that kind of does it sometimes right they're, yeah they um but now they're full-on making new make and and laying down casks and that sort of thing i mean they open in 1919. Who knows what they were doing before they learned how to make malt, but they were doing something. (laughs) And uh, then you've got Yamazaki, of course, which is kind of considered the OG, right? The original uh, whiskey Mm -hmm. distillery in Japan, opened in 1929. A few years later, you get Yoichi opening in 1934. That was Nika's first distillery. And then Miyagi-kyo, which Nika opened in 1969. So you kind of have a big gap. I mean, Asaka and, and Saburo Maru opened in the 40s and 50s. But people don't really think much about them. Right. And then Hakushu Distillery opened in 1973. And then that same year, uh, the Fuji Gotemba Distillery opened, which is Kirin. That was Keating's first whiskey, actually. Okay. Uh, uh, distillery. And then Suntory also in 1973. So, they opened um, Hakushu and Chita in 1973. So, I think uh, Suntory had made a big investment into whiskey at that point. Uh, as I mentioned, the Marshinshu Shinshu Distillery. Uh, in 1985, and then uh, Chichibu. there's a big gap again from Shinshu to Chichibu. Chichibu opened in 2008, mm-hmm. so Chichibu is now probably considered the best premium small maker or, or mid-sized maker. Maybe by this point, makes pretty amazing stuff mm-hmm. and uh, really, really well regarded. And then you've got a few other newcomers to 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 market. You've got Okayama, which opened in 2011 but they they really haven't released too much, and then yeah, right
1: that one doesn't really readily come to mind yet. it's not all over social
0: no, and it, it may just be how they're running their their uh their rollout i You can see bottles sometimes on social media, but I don't think I've ever seen one in a shop i I never have, yeah, I know relatively little about that, and then there's Nukata, which is actually Kiyuchi, the Hitochino nest beer folks who have opened their own malt whiskey distillery and that that started business in 2016 so they're probably getting pretty close to rolling stuff out if they haven't already yeah you've got a keshi uh, which just started rolling out some of their early stuff from up in hokkaido they do a very peated style then you have got shizuoka which it just released their first uh single malt uh prologue k which was made with the karuizawa equipment and then they even more recently released prologue w which is made in a wood-fired still, which sounds pretty pretty cool. Uh, does it doesn't mean winner. <laughs> no, may, maybe in the future it will. The They have an interesting story. They were actually an energy company, and their CEO went on vacation to Scotland. And by the time he left his last distillery tour, he came back to Japan and changed his business model to, to whiskey. <laughs> so As you do. You've got to appreciate that. Um, and then, of course, we know that uh, Mars Sanuki opened in 2017, and that's obviously uh Mars whiskey, so the same as Komagatake, the the Shinshu Distillery, and some of their new make has now been released, as well as our our good friend Komasa Mm -hmm. with the Kanosuke Distillery down in Kagoshima, which has also now released their first bottling's like 2021. That's what's basically in market right now, as best I can tell, with obviously much more to come. And for for those who Enjoy Japanese whiskey overseas, you probably see or recognize that there are some brands or some distilleries that haven't been mentioned. There's a reason for that, I think, which is that a lot of those have been doing what, what the Yamazakura brand has been doing that's importing scotch and blending it and selling it as Japanese whiskey. And while they may have acquired their whiskey distillery licenses, uh, they may not have released actual Japanese made malt whiskey at this point. So I, I kind of left them off that list. Yeah. Approved. Seconded. <laughs> um,
1: well, yes, yeah, so there's a bunch now. A lot more than when I first moved to Japan. That's for damn sure. And there's there are more on the way. There are a lot more distilleries that are going online or have gone online within the last 12 to 18, 18 months. Maybe the Hitachino folks were kind of the beginning of this next wave. A lot of it seems to be concentrated down in Kyushu, though, doesn't
0: it? That's right. There are quite a few uh, distillery licenses that have now been issued in Kyushu, uh, concentrated in uh, primarily in in Kagoshima and uh, in Fukuoka, uh, where I'm based. Two of the larger prefectures in the, in the region. Both the Sunuki distillery from Mars and Kanosuke uh, from Komasa are both in Kagoshima. So it kind of makes sense uh, that that's where some of the concentration is. But when I published the Complete Guide to Japanese Drinks in 2019, the, the most recent distillery I had written up was Kanosuke. And that one, at the time I wrote it up and I visited, they hadn't actually started production. But I knew that they'd be coming online soon. They just released their first uh, official whiskies in 2021. But now there's an entire slate of new distilleries coming online. I mean, since I published that or since I wrote up the Kanoske distillery, there have been 54 new whiskey-making licenses. (laughs) Whoa, 54? There were 17 active whiskey distilleries listed in my book, published in 2019. There are 54 new licenses issued.
1: So 17 plus 54. So it's, you know, 300%
0: more coming online. Yep. Yeah, we're looking at a huge increase in Japanese whiskey production over the next few years. Uh, And it was funny, a name that came up in my research with the new licenses was Mitsubishi. So that clearly is, is Karuizawa. Hmm. And then some of those licenses are actually new whiskey uh, facilities for Suntory, for Nika, for Kirin, because they're expanding production. R- right? Um, yep. So, But then we personally know of a number of shochu makers and uh, awamori makers who are getting into the whiskey making game. And I'm kind of excited about that. These are people that know fermentation really well. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. They didn't know how to make a mash taste great after one time through the still. Now they get to go two times through the still and, you know, I guess at that point learn how to barrel age and blend. Although, of course, some of them do know how to barrel age. Some of them already have. Yeah, they've been practicing for a while, a lot of them. That's right. That's why I think Komasa was such a smart first mover in this because with the Melod Kozudu brand, the rice shochu that's barrel age, that's been around since the 1950s. They've been doing barrel management for a long time. Mm-hmm. So who else do we know down here? One that I'm thinking of is the Shinozaki Distillery here in Fukuoka, which uh, they're the makers of the Takamine brand, which is obviously a koji fermented whiskey, it does not qualify as a Japanese whiskey, but they have now opened a malt whiskey distillery and started distilling in late 2021. And that one's called Shindo, right? Shindo, that's right. That's the name of that distillery. And they have a long history of barrel management. And a really impressive barrel aging uh, rickhouse. So I think they're going to do some really interesting things. And the other is our good friend, in Miyazaki right. uh, Kuroki, mm-hmm. who he, he makes his mm-hmm. uh, barrel aged shochu, is uh, Hyakune no Kuroku, which is probably the most famous barrel aged barley shochu in Japan. I, yeah, I,
1: I don't think anybody would argue with that.
0: Yeah. And so, I, I expect great things from him as well. I mean, everything he's made has been pretty fantastic between all of his different shochu expressions. His gin is one of my favorites, the Osuzu gin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I have a feeling he's going he's gonna to make some pretty outstanding whiskey as well. Yeah. With probably unbelievably gorgeous packaging. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. He just
1: really, and everything he does is great. He knocks it out of the park every time he designs something, it's true.
0: Mm-hmm. Any other upcoming whiskey distilleries that you you can think of from Kyushu or otherwise it might be you're excited about?
1: Um, Let's see, who else was getting into it? I mean, isn't Nishi also getting into this game? Mm-hmm. And they're a quiet giant, you know, they are very considered with what they release. They don't make a whole lot of noise, even though they put out a bunch of famous brands. They've recently gotten into wine too, which is another theme that we're seeing Kind of replicate itself across Kyushu, and so they're probably going to do something pretty good as well. I've, I mean, I've never seen Nishi do anything that wasn't pretty much a, at least a, a ground rule double.
0: Sure, I mean, and again, barrel management. You've got Tenshinoyuaku, right. right? Right. They know what they're doing. That stuff's delicious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I haven't been, but apparently their new distillery in Kagoshima is is gorgeous, just mm-hmm. a a work of art. I've seen photos and it it looks, I think they designed it specifically for tourism. So that should be fun. It's
1: basically almost like a resort or something. It's like a, it's a distillery that you would expect to find on a golf course.
0: Yeah. And Kumasa did something similar with his Konosuke distillery, where it's, it's got this tasting room that overlooks the ocean, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. So this is all very exciting, of course. And I, I share your your enthusiasm for the Kyushu makers that have so much experience with creating Honkaku Shouju or Uryu-kyu Aomori, which would be Okinawa, whereby they, they just have the experience to make something really tasty even before it goes into the still. However, the pace at which these whiskey licenses are being handed out is a bit alarming, and I can't help but draw a parallel, and I apologize, this is a little bit of a hot take, but a parallel between the, the shochu boom just after the turn of the century when everybody was like, oh, geez, look at all this attention we're getting. Let's ramp up production like crazy, and people were expanding, and they were moving, and they were, you know, all of this renovating and and just remaking and remodeling, and then the floor fell out from under them once once people kind of found interest in other things and I don't know I you have to ask the question how much of the whiskey growth here should we be optimistic about and how much of it should we just view purely as opportunistic and perhaps not really going to be completely up to snuff and we we just had the, the pleasure of talking with a good friend of ours, um, Stefan Van Eyken, the, the author of Whiskey Rising, and we asked him this exact question about the opportunism versus, you know, how we should view these, how positive we should be about all of this, this new growth. And he had this to say.
2: I think there's a, a certain sentiment, this this is a sentiment that... I noticed among the, the post Chichibu distilleries whereby all these distillers look towards Ichiro and they say, "Well, with that sort of setup, he can do that, then we can do that too, um, and if he can get away with you know this, then you know we, we can do that too and, and if his products um, are so in demand, then you know we can do that too but not everyone can be an Ichiro, right? So everyone's hoping that they can be that Ichiro. I think in the future we'll see, and we're we're kind of starting to see that, and little by little we're starting to see it among the distilleries, the, the post ichibu distilleries that are releasing product now that's three, four years old, five years old. So ultimately, I think we'll start to see a sort of hierarchy, well, you know, defined by the consumer, um, right, of um, distilleries, you know where where the quality of of the whiskey that's being made is is better than you know at, at other distilleries at the moment. Like the the scarcity of Japanese whiskey is such that any of these distilleries can still charge whatever whatever they want to. I don't I don't want to name any names, but there are some small craft distilleries that are charging prices for very limited products that are just mind-boggling, like in in the order of like two thousand US dollars for like. You know, three bottles or something like that. People can probably Google that if they want to um, figure out who, who I'm talking about. It's just, um, and yet, you know, it, um, you know, their products sell and, and you know, there's, there's enough demand for it. But I think with every year that passes, like we're seeing what, like some, something in the order of like five, six new distilleries every year, you know, starting. Five, ten years later, you know, we'll, we'll be able to separate the, you know, the wheat from the chaff. And and then I think there'll be some um, some small um, tragedies. <laughs> Not that I'm happy about that. You know, I, I wish every, everyone the best, um, but, um, but it's unav- unavoidable, really. So I think in the short run, say four or five years later, you know, there, there'll be. Just like in the wine world, like where, you know, different cuvées and and, and stuff like that, there'd be something emerging in in the Japanese whiskey world like that too, where where obviously, you know, like people like Ichiro are at the top of the pyramid and then you've got the layer underneath that and then underneath that um, and so on. So, that's 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 my feeling.
0: I actually don't think it's a hot take, Christopher. I think you're right. We saw tremendous production capacity expansion in... Uh, The shochu industry, and I I remember being almost horrified when I visited Yamamoto Distillery in Sendai City in Kagoshima, where they were operating on a skeleton crew. They were using, I think, they had twelve or sixteen massive pot stills, and they were running two of them. Yeah, a couple times a week. They had so much capacity that they were so over leveraged. Mm-hmm. And this has happened to a number of distilleries that have ended up, uh, some of them being acquired or shuttering completely. Where you know families lost their businesses, or uh, you know employees lost their lost their jobs because of this uh, overcapacity. And one of the names that comes to mind is Beni Otome here in Fukuoka. Mm-hmm. They overleveraged and they got into trouble, and they are now making whiskey. So I don't know if it's once bitten twice shy or or what. Maybe the opposite of that. If there's such a <laughs> such
1: an expression, it just it it reeks of desperation on a certain level. Mm-hmm. I hate to say that because I don't I don't know how things are working behind closed doors at these places. But sure, there is certainly. I I don't think it takes a, a such a savvy business person to say that. Well, there is a little bit of a lack of focus here. <laughs> you know, if you're. Sure. Sure. If you're making everything that can be poured into a glass just to dry, try and plug all of the holes or just to find it's like throwing throwing noodles against the wall, isn't it? See see what mm-hmm, sticks, mm-hmm. really. Um Sure. I don't know. I don't know how that gets you closer to uh whatever goals happen to be probably
0: most of the goals revolve around profitability and keeping people employed. Right. I mean it's it's sustainability, it's keeping keeping the business open, hoping to find that uh lightning in a bottle that ends up You know, making them a a world famous brand, and can't really fault them for trying. But I, I do suspect there's going to be winners and losers. You know, I think some of these ventures will end up being extremely successful. Probably twenty years from now, Mm -hmm. thirty years from now, some of the most sought after Japanese whiskies might be coming from these these new distilleries. But then some of these businesses may fold, and that's worrisome. I mean, we've we see how much trouble the shochu industry is in, anyway. And for all of this new capital to be sunk into whiskey making, you know, there's risk there. Absolutely. So, of course, we we wish them well, and we we do we do trust their ability to make fine spirits. But there needs to be a market for it, and they need to know how to sell it. Yep. Right. So it's uh, it's going to be a challenge. But fortunately, I think right now Japanese whiskey is selling itself. So let's hope that continues.
1: You are absolutely correct. I don't I don't think there's any question about that, and it's it's likely to continue for the foreseeable future. Unless, um, you know, for whatever reason, some of these bottlers just continue to mislabel whiskey that's been imported. Mm-hmm. If that continues to happen, then, you know, who knows what could happen to the reputation of the industry. But
0: a little bit of buyer beware there for sure. Yeah. Well, good luck to all of them. And of course, those who shall not be named being the Matsui company up in <laughs> <Tottori>. <laughs> Right. <laughs> With right. their Kurayoshi brand, but they do now have legitimate. Uh, whiskey-making license. They do have a distillery. They are making malt. Uh, they will never see a dime of, of my money mm-hmm. uh, for for how they ended up funding that by fleecing consumers, but uh, more power to them. If they make good stuff and people enjoy it, people should drink it. Yep. Very happy with the price? and go for it. Yep. So, sipping on anything?
1: Yeah, I of course. I, you don't even really have to ask. Um, I am actually... Sipping on, and you mentioned it earlier. Takamine eight year koji whiskey.
0: Oh, okay, nice. So you got some
1: of that. You brought some back from the states. I did. I I devoted about thirty percent, which is not a whole lot because I only had six slots. But I uh, two of those slots in my wine bag that were free. I devoted to bottles of the twenty twenty. Um, okay. Before before it got sold out. So cool. How about you? That's a good choice.
0: Uh, I actually found something really interesting recently. I'm sipping on very rare old Suntory whiskey in commemoration of Expo 1970. Jesus, where'd you find that? You can find them both at auction online and you can find them in secondhand shops. This is a uh, bottling that was done for the Osaka Expo in 1970 uh, from Suntory. Obviously, Suntory, the Yamazaki distillery borders um, Osaka and Kyoto. Mm. And looking through the dates that their other distilleries open, this is probably a 100% Yamazaki distillate that was bottled in 1970. Huh. So it's probably a single malt from Yamazaki, even though it's not labeled as such. And it's, it's really nice. Now, the weird thing is I looked these up on Yahoo Auctions earlier. This is 180 ml. This is a, a mini, basically. Oh, okay. The 180 ml on Yahoo auctions is around 1,000 to 1,200 yen. Okay. The spirit in this, this was bottled 51, 52 years ago. <laughs> and it's 1,000 yen. That's crazy. I recently paid 1,000 yen for a non-age statement Yamazaki highball. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And of course, I was, I was out, so it's going to cost you more in a bar or a restaurant. But the fact that this is available, and there seem to be quite a few of them on Yahoo auctions uh, available now, and it's really nice. It's got all of that that richness, a little bit of smoke. It's a it's a really really nice sipper. So those could be good stocking
1: stuffers, right there.
0: I thought about that. Yeah, I think it would be a, a treat for for folks. And they did make a they bottled I think a seven hundred or a seven twenty. Those are a little bit more expensive. They run about five to eight thousand yen, probably depending on the condition of the label and the cork. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one's actually a screw top, so I think you're a little bit better off as far as you know that it, it's not going to have gone gone off in any way or, or lost the alcohol. So anyway, uh, we'll post a picture of these and and put them in the show notes if anybody wants to try to to hustle them down on, at auction here in Japan.
1: <laughs> yeah, careful. Beware, everybody. It, it becomes an addiction and then all of a sudden you're, you're out thousands of dollars. So <laughs> careful. Well, cool. So,
0: um, any closing thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, probably an episode we should have done a little while ago. And I give credit to uh whiskey Richard at nomunication.jp because he is always writing up the new distilleries that are coming online. Uh he keeps a running tally of of uh licenses issued, not just in whiskey, but in all categories of alcohol production in Japan. He won't tell you necessarily on the website which uh which companies are opening or that sort of thing. Or who, I'm sorry, who applied for the licenses. Uh-huh. But he, he did point me to where to, to go to get that. And his website is just a fabulous resource for all things Japanese whiskey. So definitely uh, recommend checking that out if you're interested in learning more about these new distilleries and that sort of thing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I second that wholeheartedly. And since we're plugging things, I think this is a good thing to do. Actually, we should make a habit of this. Um, I want to make sure that everybody knows about whiskey rising stefan van eiken's tome uh, or basically opus it's a serenade to the japanese whiskey world and it's absolutely essential for anyone who's studying along so if you have nomunication.jp and then you have whiskey rising then you're on very solid footing right there
0: absolutely great great resources both
1: Thank you all very, very much for listening. We are very glad to be back for Season 2 of Japan Distilled. And if you enjoyed Season 1, then please take a moment to rate and review the podcast wherever you happen to listen. And of course, please tell your friends who might be interested because that just helps us to get the word out about these amazing spirits to a wider audience. Also, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram. You can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at
0: Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. Stephen, how about you? Uh, you can reach out to me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram and hit us up with your thoughts. I actually heard from a listener today, uh, Tony, who's been listening since the beginning and he he really is appreciative of everything we've done and it's always great to get that kind of feedback from listeners and he had ideas for future shows and I'm sure he'll be pleased with, with some of what will be coming out uh, later this year. And uh, of course, also please tune into our Japan Distilled Show Tuesday, every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern and 10 a.m. Wednesday here in Japan.
1: Well, there you have it. A little bit more whiskey information for everybody out there around the world. And from both of us here in Japan, holding up our glasses of whiskey to you right now, a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories.